T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. It's a hump day, home and home. How would you like to be remembered for something you did professionally or for who you are personally? Luke Keekley calling it a career, and I can't recall another player remembered quite like this guy. We'll discuss his legacy, a Hall of Fame resume. Also, the scandals continue in Boston. What is the sports scandal capital of the country? Is it Houston? Or is it now Boston, where they are searching for a new manager for the Boston Red Sox? Alex Cora is out. A lot to talk about on this hump day. Home and HomeRadio.com Sports Original. We're brought to you by Zip Recruiter. You got to check them out. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. Without a doubt, folks, trust us, the smartest way to hire Boston Red Sox. Perhaps you should use ZipRecruiter to find that new manager, somebody scandal-proof. On the program today, our friends from Pro Football Focus talk about who they think is a better quarterback right now, Trevor Lawrence or Joe Burrow. It is a tough, tough debate. And who would go number one right now if the draft were tomorrow? Also, what was Derrick Henry like as a high school running back? One man knows he wrote about it, covered him in the Jacksonville area. We'll have to share that with you. I'm Dave Briggs, home in Connecticut. Ross Tucker in his raspy voice, home in Pennsylvania. I think you should sing that smelly cat song that Phoebe from Friends used to sing when she was a bit sick, a bit hoarse. And the raspy voice really worked for her, Tucker. Do you know Smelly Cat? Um, I vaguely remember that, uh, but I hate that show because of what that dude did to the name Ross and the <laughs> image that some people have. Oh, Rachel, why don't you like me? Oh, Rachel. You know... That is a good that is yeah. a good question and a good debate. We were talking yeah. earlier about what we should do. I got a good one. Which TV or movie character would you do you dislike so much that if you saw the actor walking down the street, you would want to beat the shit out of them? Because that is my number one. David Schwimmer, wow. and he's probably a, he's probably a really nice guy. Um, Great guy. He probably he he probably does not deserve it, but I would derive great pleasure from punching him in the face and watching his nose explode. <laughs> Resorting to violence to start on a Wednesday, Ross Tucker doesn't <laughs> like Friends. Just blew my mind with all of that. Yeah, that is a hell of a discussion for a day in which we don't have huge sports news. What is the TV or movie character you would punch <laughs> in the face? I don't know if I would 
physically harm them the way you would like to harm David Schwimmer. But yeah, I think maybe the the character you would like to physically or verbally accost if you saw them in public. Because I don't know, I'm not jacked like you are. I might get my ass kicked if I punched someone. Maybe not David Schwimmer. I can fucking take David Schwimmer. But this is a great discussion Yo, for another time. What, what Friends if, is a hey, classic, hey, bro. Yeah. What 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 if David Schwimmer knows like karate or something and I don't know that? And what if I what if I started shit with David Schwimmer and he beat my ass? That I, I would have to just quit life at that point. If Ross yeah. from Friends beats you up, it's over. You're done. It's You're over. You're done. You're done, bro. But if you remember the episode in which he played rugby, he's either one hell of an actor or you would kick his ass with one tied, one hand tied behind your back. I think you'd be just fine against Schwimmer. Maybe against Joey, Matt LeBlanc. That might be a hell of a fight. But that is not the, the question we're asking you this morning. The question we are asking you this morning is, what would you do if you were a Houston Astros or Boston Red Sox player and, and you heard this scandal going on where they're banging trash cans to tell you what pitch is coming at the plate, what would you do? Would you participate? Would you sound the alarm? What if you're a pitcher and you can't honestly benefit from this and you know your fellow players are being harmed by this? You know that they don't have a fair shot out there on the mound against your team Here's my problem with this whole scandal. Houston Astros, Boston Red Sox, and for the latest, again, Alex Cora has been fired by the Boston Red Sox. No punishment has come down from Major League Baseball yet, but of course the Houston Astros fired their GM, Jeff Lunau, and their manager, A.J. Hinch. Ross, there is almost no discussion of the freaking players here. They are grown men making tens of millions of dollars, and we're talking about GMs and managers. We should be talking about the players. We should be talking about the players that either benefited from this or did nothing. We should be using the names like Jose Altuve, Yuli Gariel, Carlos Correa, Alex Bregman, George Springer. We should use the names Mitch Moreland, Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, Andrew Benatendi, Jackie Bradley Jr., Mookie Betts, J.D. Martinez. We should talk more about the players, shouldn't we? And what would you do if you were one of those players and you saw that scandal going on? Um, I'd like to sit here, Dave, and say that I would not have participated and that I would have told MLB about it. I highly doubt that, though. I, I'm pretty sure I would not have alerted the authorities or told MLB. That's number one. Number two, I don't know. I might have said, no, I don't want that. But once I saw Altuve crushing homers, <laughs> that might have that might have changed things for me a little bit. I don't know. I, I mean, I I never took roids. I never took PEDs in the NFL, but they were also testing for it. Now I wouldn't have anyway, but they were testing for it. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I would have been between the uh, either participating or just not. But no way I would have turned them in. I'm ethically morally challenged i can acknowledge that i don't know that i could sleep at night though i have a hard enough time sleeping the only way i think those players could justify it is to say that everybody's doing this 
We're just a little bit better at it. I think that's the explanation. And a reminder, Brad Lidge, the former Astros pitcher, World Series champ with the Phillies, told us on the program this week that he thinks between five and ten other teams were stealing signs, but with one form or another. No better person to ask about all of this than host at WEI, one of the guys from Ordway, Merloni, and Fourier, former Boston Red Sox infielder himself, the legend, Lou Merloni joining us this morning on a hump day. Lou, great to have you on the program. It's Dave Briggs. It's Ross Tucker. What would you do, bro? What would you do if you were seeing this stealing sign scandal going on in your dugout? Would you participate? Would you not participate? Would you sound the alarm? I heard sir what Ross was saying. Um, I'd probably participate, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, listen, when I was playing, we didn't have the video cameras that these guys have right now because of instant replay. So what we would have was just a camera feed of a game. And in the middle of games, you'd be watching early in games, you'd be watching opposing pitchers, and you're trying to figure out what kind of tips he has, trying to figure out what he's throwing. That was just something you did. Now, they have specific cameras in on the catchers, which is something that we didn't have. Uh, the issue is, is that, you know, if they come out and they tell you that, hey, this is illegal, we got to stop doing this, uh, would you continue to do it then? See, then I'd probably be sitting there saying, okay, now we shouldn't be doing it. But before this whole memo came out in 2018, I'd probably be right in that room helping decode everything. Lou, is this, is this in your mind, taint the World Series that the Red Sox won? You know, I think it, it, listen, it taints the whole year. There's no question about it. But when it comes to the World Series, you know, if you read that report with Drellick and Rosenthal, the fact that they had an in-person league official, you know, in those rooms during the postseason, um, teams you play during that postseason, I believe, are all looking for advantages as well. I don't think it does once you get into that postseason. You beat those teams. You beat them up, and that was just the way it was. So, to me, when you get to the postseason, I find out that I got an in-person league official in those rooms that's not allowing us to do it, and you still go out there and win, I think that's good. But I totally understand. Listen, we're from Boston. We understand how this whole thing works. Everything is tainted in the eyes of a lot of people. And to be honest with you, a lot of Red Sox fans, they have a different feeling about this Red Sox team than they do the Patriots. They're all over them. They want Alex Cora fired. They want him banned. Meanwhile, they'll jump in front of a, a train for Bill Belichick. So it is a different opinion so I think a lot of Red Sox fans do believe that it is tainted. I just don't because I think in the postseason it was clean. Well, wow, that's interesting. I want to hear more about that. Where do uh, the fans, the callers, rank and view the scandals now that you've had from Spygate to Deflategate to Spygate 2 and now the Alex Cora stealing sign scandal? Uh, how do they rank those and how do they react differently to them? If you can elaborate a little more on that. Red Sox fans want Alex Cora banned from baseball for life. They, wow. I, I've heard an awful lot for the last you know, couple of days that he got caught cheating. A memo was sent to him. He continued to cheat. It was arrogance. People lost their jobs. Games were won and lost. They affected careers, and they won championships. Alex Cora needs to go. And I asked a simple question. Are we still talking about Alex or Bill Belichick? And the response is, well, it's different. No, it's not. It's really not. But Patriots fans in this area can't face that fact. So the reality is is the Red Sox have a perception problem in the city. They are not well-liked. The players don't communicate to the media. The owner doesn't communicate to the media. The owner owns a Boston Globe 
that writes stories attacking the New England Patriots and covers up anything to do with the Red Sox. New Boston fans don't enjoy that. They don't think there's transparency with the Red Sox, and they think that there's a little bit of rivalry. And because of that, Patriot fans, which they're more of in this area, as of right now, because of what they've done the last 20 years, don't like this organization, and they think they should pay the price. So they will kick Cora. They want him banned for life. They will stick by Belichick. They will stick by everything the Patriots do, no matter what. And that's just the way it is here. Wow. Lou, I'm really surprised. Wow. Um, I, I was there in 05 and 06, and I felt like the Red Sox were such an institution at that time, and people loved them. And the Patriots, you know, that they'd already won three Super Bowls at that point, so people loved the Patriots. But to hear you say such a stark contrast between how they feel, I didn't realize – how they evidently feel about the Red Sox. How long has that been going on? Well, I think, you know, it changed in 04 when you won the World Series, right? They were there. It was the pinnacle. You know, Boston Red Sox win the World Series. And then they were very successful after that. But there were a lot of things, you know, I think that have changed it. You know, 2011, the collapse, the chicken and beer in the dugout. Um, there's a lot of things, you know, they changed Yaki Way and Jersey Street. There's just a lot of politics that have gotten involved and again i think one of the worst things john henry's one of the red sox did was buy the boston globe he owns a newspaper and i think that's a that's that the perception of that is not a good one so there's been a lot of things pr wise that the red sox have done i think brass in that organization has to face the reality that they're not the most popular team in this town other sport teams have won in this town it's no longer a red sox town first off it's a winning town whoever wins you follow but I think it's been going on now for some time, and I would probably say, you know, 2011, 2012, in that area, the wow. PR just hasn't been good for that organization. This is stunning to me. You have blown my mind because uh, we're talking to Lou Morloney, host of Ordway Morloney and Fourier, former Boston Red Sox infielder. I was there 04 to just about 2009, and I guess things have changed since I left town because when I was there, I had never seen a city so committed to one organization. When it was a Tuesday or a Wednesday night midweek game against the Rays, I saw old ladies, young kids all watching games and paying attention to everything. I had never seen devotion like that. Wow, I guess things have changed since I left town. I want to ask you, though, about the absence of of blame towards the players and from Houston to Boston. We've heard a lot about AJ Hinch, Jeff Lunau, and now Alex Cora. We're not hearing a damn thing about Raphael Devers, Xander Bogarts, Andrew Benatendi, Jackie Bradley in Houston, Correa, Altuve, Bregman, Springer. Why is that? Shouldn't we be talking more about the players? These are grown men pulling off this scandal, cheating their opponents. Well, I, I would agree. This is like arresting the doctors in the steroid era and not criticizing the baseball players for taking it, right? Yeah. So part of it is MLB, Manfred sent out the memo saying, if this happens again, I'm coming after the GMs and managers, you know, and sitting there and an MLB PA saying, if you come after a player, I'm going to throw this memo in front of you and you're going to have a fight because you told us you were going after GMs and managers. But I would agree. This is, is somewhat of a, a scapegoat situation. Astros fans, Red Sox fans would rather be upset with Alex Cora than Rafi Devers. Red Sox fans, you know, Astros fans would rather be upset 
at A.J. Hinch, you know, for creating this than Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman. You know, we need evil and we need the good guys. So I, I think part of that is, is in play as well. You need a scapegoat. You need someone to blame. Don't blame the players. Blame the one guy we can get rid of. Um, so it is, it is amazing that, you know, these players benefit from it. They get completely left out of it. Um, meanwhile, all of them right now are probably sending messages to Alice Core and AJ Hinch saying, Hey, sorry, dude, you're a good guy. I really liked you. You know what I mean? They're just sort of sitting there and letting everybody wear it. Yeah. Um, Lou, how much do you think they benefited from it? I mean, I, I've heard the trash can thing. Like I can't, I can't quantify that. How much do you think those guys benefited? Can you put it in the numbers in some way? You know, it, it's, I, I think what the Astros did, I think there's more of a benefit strictly because you got a catcher that doesn't realize he's getting preyed upon. You know, he's putting down one finger, you know, fastball, no one's on base. Fastball, curveball, changeup, no one's on base. When a guy's on second, there's a reason why it's multiple signs. There's a reason why teams change signs, you know. So when you're not realizing it and you're banging the barrel, although I would still say come postseason, I don't know if you guys have been to a playoff game or not, but when your team is hitting, you tell me whether you can hear a barrel or not. I think it's impossible. So, but still, this is what they were doing. You heard the videos. With a man on second base, I don't think people realize how hard it is to steal signs, especially if you're dealing with a team that's somewhat aware and somewhat professional. You know, after the third, fourth pitch of a guy on second base, if we think they're there too long, you switch to signs. Now the guy's on an island. As a hitter, you better be damn sure you know what the pitch is if you're going to relay it to me. Because if you tell me it's a curveball and it's a fastball at my chin, then we're going to have a problem and I'm never going to listen to you ever again. So in that report, like they said, there were some Astros guys that said, you know, it's too confusing. I don't want to know it. So I, I could see where some guys didn't want anything to do with it. But when the man's on second base, it really is hard to determine what the right sign is. you got to wait a pitch or two to make sure you've got it. By the time you've got it in that third pitch, you might give him a pitch. And by the fourth pitch, the catcher's sitting there saying, you know, one, two, you know, we'll go back to the second sign, the third sign, the outs plus one, strikes plus one, follow the two. And as a guy at second base, you have no clue. So it's it's difficult, which t which brings you to the whole fact of how stupid this really was. How much did you really benefit from this, and was it all worth it? Talking to Lou Merloni, former Red Sox infielder, host of Ordway, Merloni, and Fourier. We talked to Brad Lidge yesterday, former Phillies World Series champ and Astros pitcher himself. He said in his estimation between five and ten other teams at the time – we're also using some form of technology to steal signs. Would you agree with that? Where, where would you put that number? It would be just pure speculation. You know, mm -hmm. um, it's hard to believe, you know, that other, other teams aren't doing it. Um, but it would be pure speculation. You know, I mean, it's, it's, there's so much, we live in an er era with now it's about analytics and you're looking for the casino edge, you know, the small edge. I, I don't, know that he's going to hit the ball here every single time, but the probability is I'm going to increase my probability and my advantages, and I'm going to put a guy there and everything else. So it's hard to believe that teams aren't sitting there saying, well, what else, uh, what other edges can we get? Let's look on the fringes. Let's figure this thing out. Um, it's just always looking for an edge. This has been going on in baseball. It's been going on in sports all the time. How can I gain an advantage in this thing? So, you know, I go back. We, we were playing sound the other day with the Red Sox. I know Carlos Beltran was one of the names, which is very interesting you know, and what the Mets do here moving forward. And Cora had said that one of the biggest acquisitions for the Yankees last year was Carlos Beltran. He got into it as far as, you know, he pays attention to details. He knows how it works. I know how it works. 
we got to shore some things up. We're tipping pitches, our sign sequence, you know, and then now he's with the Mets. So it's obviously he's not going to bring this thing here with the New York Mets, but all it takes is a couple of guys that come out that are scorned, that aren't happy, that are a different organization. And next thing you know, it's another organization that's going through this as well. Lou, what's a bigger topic right now in Boston? Is it Brady and what's going to happen with him? Or is it just Cora Red Sox stuff? It's Cora Red Sox right now. You know, I'd say for the last two days. Um, it was looking like we were going to get three and a half months of Brady every single day <laughs> until this thing broke. So this is a little breather, you know, a little break from it. But I think um, we'll see what happens with this. This is now another story. But I think because it's so new, it's now core. But still, that Brady thing is something that's going to last, I think, right up to the end. All right. Well, then let's further that discussion a little bit. We heard from uh, the Greg Hill show yesterday that the suite at Gillette Stadium had been cleaned out, that the Brady family had moved into their home in Greenwich, Connecticut, which was already going to happen. And my estimation doesn't the home part of it doesn't change anything. Here's just my guess, because I'm the same age as Tom Brady and I know how much influence my wife yields over the home that <laughs> if Tom goes and plays somewhere else. I feel like he may be doing that himself. They made their home in Greenwich, Connecticut. I don't think they're picking up their kids, their life, and going to Indy or going to L.A. or going anywhere else. Where do you think this thing is headed, and how might he make the decision? Does the cleaning out of the suite matter at all? I don't look much of the cleaning out of the suite, to be honest with you. I, I, I think this really comes down to, you know, obviously the both sides, but I think Bill Belichick wants to move on. I think we've seen the way he's put these teams together the last couple of years. You know, we always talk about him getting rid of a guy a year too late. I think he's pushed the envelope with Brady, you know, and I think um, Brady has exceeded his expectations and he stuck with him. But I think his job is to get where they are right now, two years from now, three years from now, four years from now, you know, build this thing again, which he seems like he's already done kind of three different times during this little 20-year span. And if that's your job to build it for three or four or five years, you know Brady's not your guy. And and I know there's financial ramifications, but that might be just for one year, you know, a, a $13.5 million salary cap. I think he looks around the league and he says, you know, these guys are moving out of the pocket. They're able to make things happen. These, these younger athletic guys out of college can't the, the precision offense with Tom, it's too complicated. They can't figure it out. Look at our offense this year. So I just... I feel like he can grab a bridge guy, and there's a lot of those names that are out there, and make them a better quarterback than where they've been and still be competitive for a year or two until he finds the next guy. Lou, last one for me. Uh, we're still waiting on the results of another Boston cheating controversy. We're waiting to see what the NFL says about that Bengals video. What's been your take? Are you, are you buying what the Patriots are selling? Or do you think they're full of crap? I don't think that taping had anything to do with football operations. However, it doesn't matter. that This is going to be a stupidity fine. That's the way I look at it. This is going to be a fine. This is going to be a draft pick. Probably fifth round type of situation. Um, because I don't think, you know, that... I, I, I don't think that Bill Belichick sent this guy out there. This was a, for a documentary. However, it doesn't matter. Like I said, this is a stupidity fine. 
You can't be the New England Patriots for the love of God. You got to know where and when you can't tape from. I mean, come on. This is what we're talking about here in Spygate. But I guarantee this the Patriot fans here, boy, I'll tell you, they'll rally the troops <laughs> like no other. But they'll get something. They'll get something. But I don't think this was real Spygate 2. This was just a documentary. Interesting. One final question. It's one we started our program with to much to my surprise, and, and, and this will surprise you. So you're going to have to take a minute to let it marinate. Probably Ross right. Tucker started this program, Lou, by saying uh, the one television character he just might punch in the face if he saw out there on the street is David Schwimmer, Ross from Friends, because Ross ruined the name Ross for Ross Tucker. <laughs> is there another character, Lou? whether it's television or film. I don't know if you're a violent guy like Ross Tucker and you might not punch him in the face, but is there someone you might yell at, you might at least push physically or verbally mm. accost if you saw them in public? Oh, man. So that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I think, you know, I, listen, I like, you know, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. You know, I, I like them a lot. So I, I do. And even though I had some issues maybe with Ben in the past, but that's in the past. But after <laughs> Goodwill Hunting, it's like the accent that was a little bit too much. You know what I mean? That's one of those things where I think it'd probably be Ben. I think he knows why. We've had some issues. But still, you know, the accent was so bad, especially in the batting cage scene, when it's like, oh, we're going to mess with some Harvard kids. It was just, it, it made everybody just look worse than we already than we already sound, to be honest with you. <laughs> That's a good one. Ben Affleck, I think, would probably make a lot of people's list, quite frankly. You know, I mean, he's he's had a few few moments that make you want to punch him in the face. But I, I think he could probably throw a few blows, though. I mean, you'd kick his ass, but Affleck <laughs> might take me. You know, I mean, Affleck might take me, so I might I might not pull that off. Because he looked like he could throw a punch in that fight in Goodwill Hunting, you know? Oh, yeah. No, yeah, there's, there's no question. He's got that big tattoo in his back now. I don't know what he's doing, but I'll have to call Russ up and be like, you know, come on home and help me out. Russ, <laughs> you can help me out, right, with that guy? You can rough him up a little bit? Yeah, I, uh, although, you know, all the, all his buddies from Southie, they'll get the bats out. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> yeah, they'll this start beating true. some asses with bats. All right, Lou Maloney, this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, pleasure. Appreciate the time, my friend. Come back on anytime. All right, guys, anytime. Thanks a lot. All right, check them out. It's Ordway, Merloni, and Fourier on WEEI Sports Radio in Boston. You can listen to them anytime on the radio.com app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.
Boss, that was fascinating discussion, in particular how Boston has changed and has turned on the Red Sox and, and thinks that the Red Sox scandal is far worse than anything the Patriots have done. I can't believe any of that that I heard. That was one of the best interviews we've done here on Home and Home. First of all, that guy's awesome. Secondly, he looks awesome. He makes me feel bad about my beard because his beard is so money. I mean, I love everything about that guy. I wish I was that guy. I am going to feel bad about myself <laughs> for the rest of the show because that dude was awesome. It's funny. I, too, right when he dialed in, thought, I want his voice. I want his beard. <laughs> I want his insight. <laughs> This sucks, man. We were both <laughs> envious of another man. We both wanted to be another man for a good 20 minutes. And it started with the beard. And then I thought that he, he can't have insights to match that beard, right? Fucking sure enough, he did. I don't know if I hate that guy or if I love that guy, but uh, I guess he's, he's good. All right, so a lot coming up on the program. Thank you to Lou Marloni. We envy you. Uh, we're going to talk to our good friends, Pro Football Focus. George Tarui joins us to talk about the debate taking over college football. Is it Trevor Lawrence or is it Joe Burrow? If they both came out right now, who's their number one? Great discussion on the way. And we'll talk about Luke Keekley's early retirement at the age of 28. Is he a Hall of Famer after eight seasons? Hell, I'm not going to have drama on that. Sure enough, he is. He's an absolute first ballot Hall of Famer, so we won't have that debate. But how he's remembered, very unique. Also, the Cleveland Browns hired their new head coach. He talked to our good friends, 92-3 in Cleveland. Speaking of hiring, it is a new year, and like the Cleveland Browns, a lot of you are making new hires. So what do you do? Do you go through it? Kind of like the, the Carolina Panthers or Washington Redskins. Get your man, get him quick, lock it up, or do you take your time? Do you be thorough? At ZipRecruiter, they've got this figured out. They have got it down to an absolute science. They nail it in the first day quite often. ZipRecruiter, what they do is they send your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, and they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find the people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. ZipRecruiter is so effective. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is so effective for businesses of all sizes. Check them out at ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. They are the smartest way to hire Pro football focus on deck. And then Luke Keekley. how do you want to be remembered as what you did personally or professionally? We're back after a break. Derrick Henry has rushed for 180 yards in three straight road games at Houston, at New England, at Baltimore against grown men making millions. What was he like as a high school running back. We'll talk to a man who covered him in the Jacksonville area. Cannot imagine tackling that human being in high school or at any level. Also, how do you want to be remembered as what you did personally or who you were uh, professionally? Luke Keekley, one of the all-time greats in both regards. It's a hump day here on Home and Home, a radio.com sports original. We're brought to you by Zip Recruiter. Check them out. Zip Recruiter. 
Facebook.com slash enter. They are, without a doubt, the smartest way to hire in 2020. I'm Dave Briggs, home in Connecticut. Ross Tucker, home in Pennsylvania. Time to check in with our good friends at Pro Football Focus. George Cherubri joining us on Hump Day. George, good to see you, my friend. Um, I want to get into, real quickly, Mr. Luke Keekley. Luke, who hangs it up yesterday <laughs> at age 28, a little perspective on just how good he was in just eight years in the NFL. He was fantastic. I mean, he was the most valuable linebacker using PFF war that uh, we've seen in the PFF era. So uh, that gives you a sense of just how good he was in only eight years. Obviously, the PFF era goes back 15. So um, he was tremendous. He was the highest graded linebacker of the past decade. And I think the way that he did it, you know, he wasn't just a physical guy, right? He played coverage as well as any linebacker. And so he was able to make a huge impact even in today's NFL at the linebacker position. Uh, it's sad to see him go, obviously, but man, it was, it's, it was great to watch him play while he was there. George, you mentioned PFF war. I know this is relatively new for you guys. Can you explain for our listeners exactly what it is and how you guys are coming at that number? Yeah. So if you think about the PFF grade, the PFF grade is within a position, right? So I would look at uh, all quarterback grades and I could say, okay, this, these are the you know, five best quarterbacks. But how do I compare a quarterback that grades 95 with a defensive interior player or a cornerback that, that grades at a 95? That's a really valuable or tough question to answer, but it's also a lot of value within that answer because I want to know just how much more valuable is a quarterback um, that, that grades that high, like Pat Mahomes versus Aaron Donald, you know, which one is actually more valuable. And so we put that into a currency that everyone can understand, which is wins above a replacement level player. How many wins are you gaining by having this player on your team above having a guy that you could pick up off the practice squad in, in his place? And it's all, it's all still built off of how well a player grades, um, but it's put into a, a mathematically rigorous uh, algorithm that then translate it, it, uh, translates it into uh, the currency that we can all understand, which is wins. Um, and it allows you to compare in between positions, across positions, which uh, is really something that we have not been able to do in football yet. I mean, you do this in baseball all the time, um, but it is a first of its kind for football. Get a lot of data, all the best stuff on pff.com. Got to check them out. Right now, talking to George Taruri from Pro Football Focus. And you guys have an excellent breakdown on the debate raging through college sports. It's if they came out right now, Trevor Lawrence or Joe Burrow, who is the best quarterback right now and who would go number one in your estimation and why? It's got to be Joe Burrow. Uh, he has answered every single question and the big one for me really is age and environment. So Joe Brady obviously created a really nice offensive environment there at LSU. They had a ton of playmakers, but the same is true at Clemson, right? I mean, they had some fantastic playmakers. They had a wonderful environment for Trevor Lawrence to perform in, and he did not perform as well. Joe Burrow's been more accurate at each level of the field, um, and that is just something that you can't ignore. You can't just all of a sudden go with, He's younger. He's more talented. I can project him a little bit better three years down the road. You have to look at what they've produced so far. And so far, that's that's Joe Burrow. And there really isn't a question. In two years, we there's a chance we're saying something differently. But right now, if you had to project him forward, uh, it's Joe Burrow. 
So, George, you kind of hinted at this, but specifically the age component of it, you guys have been doing this for a while now. Is there enough data to suggest how much a player in general and maybe a quarterback in particular progresses over their age 20 to age 23 seasons to say, okay, Burroughs grades a 95, Lawrence is a 90, but based on what other quarterbacks do, Lawrence should be a 96 by the time he's 23. Yeah, we build that in. So we have a, a system that projects from college to the pro level. Uh, you know, what do you expect this guy to be at the pro level in, you know, in three years and four years at the end of his rookie contract, whatever it is. And that is one of the variables we take into consideration, but it's not as important as all of the other things, right? How freaking good is this guy, right? Uh, how do you perform from a clean pocket? Um, how did he throw the ball at the intermediate level? When he made throws that you see at the NFL level, how did he perform on those throws? Those are all so much more important. So you can't just, it's not going to be that big of a jump, right? Um, it definitely matters and it helps. Um, it, it helps you certainly for that second contract. But here's the thing with the quarterback position. It's way less valuable at the quarterback position where guys are playing for 20 years. At running back, at wide receiver, at linebacker, we just talked about Luke Keekley their careers are so much shorter that age definitely does matter because when you sign them to that second contract, you know, are you getting them for their prime or not at the quarterback position? It's way less of a, of a question mark. This is the stuff you get with the PFF subscription. Check them out. Talking to George Taruri, uh, another quarterback getting a lot of attention and for good reason, of course, is Tua Tagovailoa and some interesting news from Mike Rodak that Tua expects to be healthy and throw for NFL teams by April, a huge surprise out of the camp uh, for Tua. Um, where do you expect him to go? Will he even be around at number seven when Carolina, a lot of talk about them wanting him. Can he even make it beyond the top five? I, I can't imagine so. Um, let me put it this way. If you do not have a top 10 quarterback, you should be drafting a quarterback. Like, I just, I don't know how else to put that because you're not a contender unless you are in, unless you can get a top 10 quarterback performance out of your team um, or out of, out of that guy. Look at the Niners, for example, right? Jimmy G's mm -hmm. right on that cusp. They have Kyle Shanahan. They have great offense and that's why they've gotten where they've gotten. So if he makes it past five, I would be absolutely stunned. I think, and this is a bold claim. I don't think they're going to do it, but the Redskins should be thinking about him at two because they don't know anything about Dwayne Haskins yet. And the only thing that can get you to that next level is a great quarterback. So why not take shots at quarterback? I would be stunned if he makes it to seven. Um, there's no way he makes it past Miami. So George, I want to piggyback off of Dave's question. Where would Tua fit in the Burrow Lawrence, you know, conversation? I think he'd be number three. Uh, I, I really do think the injury concern is real. Um, and it, that's, that's tough to say cause he's so young. Um, and, and you expect him to be able to heal up, but, uh, availability is one of the most valuable things in football. And so not having a guy for, even if it's a couple games a season, that really matters. I mean, that's actually something that is a huge component of your wins above replacement. How many snaps are you able to play and at what level? So, um, I would put him behind those two guys, but it's certainly 
those there would be those three, and then a big big gap between uh, Tua and whoever your number four is. If that's Herbert, or um, I, I would assume for most people it's Herbert. So, what if there was no health concern for Tua? Where would he be? No health concern. I, I think you put him right there with with Trevor Lawrence. That I, his accuracy at the intermediate level of the field is so it's just pinpoint. And he certainly doesn't have the, the physical ability, you know, to win on the run. And I think we're seeing now in the NFL, you can really leverage that um, that running ability of a quarterback to help your offense overall. I, I personally would take Lawrence, um, but it would be very close. I don't get Justin Herbert. Uh, help me understand. <laughs> Look, I, I, I see a terrifically, uh, just a well-balanced human being, a smart guy, a great athlete, and a wildly inaccurate passer. I just don't understand this guy. Help me understand why analysts and and like yourself, it sounds like are so high on a guy that quite often is putting up 100 yard games and 55% completion percentage. I mean, look at his bowl game, 14 to 20, 138 yards, no touchdowns, one pick. And that's not an outlier. He put up a lot of stinkers like that this season. It's it's honestly crazy to me that he's being put in the same, you know, uh, the conversation with some of these other guys at the top. I mean, you've heard rumblings of teams that are that are in the top seven, even the top five that really like him. And I agree with you. He's just so um, there's so much volatility to his game. And the reason people really like him is that he's shown the high end, the ceiling, the, the really good throws. You see you see those. You go, oh, if he can just do that more, we'll be great. The problem is projecting a guy to do things more when he's already shown a propensity not to is a real big leap of faith. The, the thing in the NFL is you just don't have many options at quarterback. So by virtue of how valuable that position is, he's going to go high. But there is a there is a large chasm between him and those other three guys you mentioned. The problem is because of his positional value and and it, basically everyone at that point has a ton of question marks in, in his tier. He's going to go high because of how he looks in shorts and how he throws the ball when it looks good. Steve, let, uh, Steve, <laughs> sorry, George. <laughs> don't <laughs> Let's get don't you dare up. compare me to Steve um, Alzola and that cherry curl. I'm, I'm struck. <laughs> like I, Dude, you guys are almost twins. You're, you're almost, almost twins at this point. How tall are you, George? I'm a hair <laughs> under six, seven. <laughs> are you really that tall? No, no, no. I'm uh, I'm a hair under six foot. <laughs> All right. So I want to get to the conference championship games a little bit. Let's go Jimmy G. Um, it looked like in the second half of that game that Kyle Shanahan kind of took the ball out of his hands a little bit. Do you think that his play is concerning to you or do you think Jimmy G has fared well, and he's ready for Sunday. If if what you're concerned by is what you saw in the divisional, then then I, I don't really know if you've watched the rest of the season. Because the things that he did poorly in that game, right, threw, threw the ball right at the linebacker a couple times, that's what he's done all season. So that was a concern coming into the playoffs. I actually do not believe that Kyle Shanahan took the ball out of Jimmy G's hands because he didn't have confidence in him. The reason he took the ball out of Jimmy G's hands is because the Vikings were not there to play. And the only reason the Vikings scored was because Akella Witherspoon got
got burned a couple of times. Once, once Emmanuel Mosley came in, they were literally incapable of moving the football. And every time that the Niners snapped the ball, they were blowing the Vikings three, four yards off the line of scrimmage. So to me, it was more about Kyle Shanahan recognizing that there was no chance in hell that the Vikings were going to put up a fight and saying, why should I risk? Jimmy G took a, a, a hit, right? That ankle injury looked like it could have been very serious. I think that was more about being able to win without having to put Jimmy G at risk than not trusting him. That doesn't mean there aren't question marks, but they don't, they don't come from that game. That's just been a season-long thing. He, he is, at this point, you have to say, the weakest of the four quarterbacks remaining. They're obviously three you know, fairly strong ones. Um, but but he is certainly, uh, from a PFF grading standpoint, I think um, uh, the weakest of that bunch. Talking to George Taruri, ProFootballFocus.com. How much do you make of the meeting between these two teams earlier this season when, boy, Green Bay went out there and just got punched in the face? I, I think there are two different, uh, two different teams, Green Bay at that point of the season and Green Bay now. Uh, but it has to worry you a little bit because Green Bay, their record is better than how they've played this season. And there's just every way you slice it, that that is the case. I mean, they're a seven and a half point underdog right now to San Francisco. Minnesota was a seven point underdog. So that tells you how the market feels about Green Bay's strength, right? They, the teams that they beat, the good teams that they beat are, are basically the Vikings, right? And And those games were largely a function of Kirk Cousins being uh, incapable of throwing the football. So uh, there's a reason that the Niners are seven and a half point favorites. It's well warranted. They are the more talented team uh, at basically every single position. I guess you would say certainly Aaron Rodgers is more talented, but Aaron Rodgers, aside from this last game, uh, this past week, has been very mediocre all season. I mean, he's been below average from a clean pocket uh, this, this entire regular season. This last game where he was miraculous on third down, was really the first time in 15 weeks that we've seen him play really, really well. So there is there is a really good reason why the Niners are such big favorites. Yeah, last one for me, George, is Ryan Tannehill. You know, he's got the best quarterback rating in the NFL. The Titans have led the league in yards per play. Where does he fit in, though, in the PFF grades? He's been great. Uh, he's, he was our highest graded quarterback this season, which, you know, obviously he didn't have the, as large of a sample and he wasn't as valuable of a quarterback as, say, Russell Wilson, who earned the most wins above replacement this season because he did it, you know, for a longer period of time. But when he has gotten the ball out of his hand, there's been no one better. The worry for me with Tannehill is that he takes sacks at the highest rate in the league. Nearly one out of every three times that he's under pressure, he goes down for a sack. So, that is something that over the course of time, like you're not going to win games doing that because you're not going to be able to get as many explosive plays as they've gotten. But here's kind of the sneaky thing about the Titans. They have won these games with Ryan Tannehill's arm. I know everyone's talking about Derrick Henry, but that 14 nothing lead, they were, they were losing the yards per run battle at that point in the game. What got them 14 nothing was the fact they were averaging 10.5 yards per play on the passing side of the ball. So um, it, he's been f- fantastic, and he's been one of the he, he's been the reason that Tennessee Titans team is where they are right now. It, it's incredible. Any reason to think that this run stops for Derrick Henry, 180 yards in three straight games, all on the road? It all depends how you feel about Ryan Tannehill, to be honest with you. Right? 
So if you look at where Derrick Henry was with Marcus Mariota, not not so great, right? Ryan Tannehill comes in. They're now winning through the air, and they're getting ahead of teams. And once you get ahead of teams and you, you've beaten them down and you've gotten this lead and you've put their defense on the field for all these plays, it is easier to run the ball. If they can do that, then that streak can continue. But if they're going to go out there and try and build a 14-0 lead with Derrick Henry, I do think it stops uh, in Kansas City because, as we saw, you're not going to beat Kansas. You're not going to have a lead on Kansas City unless you throw the ball and continue to throw it and throw it well. Final question. It has nothing to do with sports, and you may not be prepared for it. When you think of an annoying television character, George, someone that you might yell at in the public or maybe even if you were violent like Ross Tucker, punch in the face. (laughs) Annoying character from movies, television shows. Anyone come to mind in that regard you'd like to get a piece of? Wow, that is a great question. Um, Man. You know, it's been a while since I have rigorously watched like a like a Netflix, you know, type of series or show. Yep. So I'm going to have mm-hmm. to go to a show that I watch more regularly, which is uh, which is an ESPN show. And I I find myself Dan Orlovsky a lot of the time says things that I like violently disagree with. <laughs> that being said, he does not compare to Rex Ryan, who I think at least once a week I look at the television and I go, what the F are you talking about, man? Like, what the hell is coming out of your mouth? Uh, I love his personality. He's hilarious. But he gets me fired up, which is probably his, uh, his intent. He's trying to fire me up. That's a good one. I, I know Dan very well. He lives in my town. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll text him and, and let him know that you, uh, you sent your goodwill. <laughs> Maybe we can Look, make this happen. Yeah. We'll, we'll get him in uh, to Cincinnati, feed him some Skyline Chili. And uh, and show them show them what it's all about. No, both of those dudes are good dudes, but they their their opinions get me fired up about football, which is not a bad thing, I guess. I love that. Good stuff. All right, George Saru, appreciate it. Enjoy Championship Weekend. We'll talk to you soon on the program. Thank you. Same to you guys. Thanks, brothers. Skyline Chili. We know how much. He loves that. All right, got to move on to another subject in the NFL. One of the big stories we haven't gotten to with this program, which is Kevin Stefanski introduced as the new head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Ross, overall, do you like how the process played out for Cleveland? And do you think they wound up with the right guy? Yeah, so I, I initially thought they'd be better off with like a Mike McCarthy or a Ron Rivera. When those two guys were off the table, though, I do like that the Browns took their time, that they interviewed a bunch of candidates, that they were thorough. And I know Stefanski. I've known him for a while. I think he's an excellent hire who will do very, very well. Uh, I thought his press conference yesterday was terrific. Not that that matters that much. Uh, I know some Browns fans are disappointed. They really wanted, I think, Josh McDaniels, you know, a bigger name who's from Northeast Ohio, all of the success that the Patriots have had. And I get it. I get it. Mm -hmm. But I think Stefanski will do an excellent job. I think there's a lot of questions. And of course, number one is how much does the owner, does Haslam meddle? And that's the word that you've heard a lot of people close to the organization use 
Will he have to approve the game plan on a Friday? He pushed back on that notion yesterday, but that rumor is out there that they'll also meet on a Monday. And Ross, you and I agree on that, that if I'm a billionaire who owns a football team, I don't actually mind the idea of having to meet on a Monday to talk about what went right, what went wrong. And who knows, that could be helpful for Kevin Stefanski. But probably the biggest question mark on the football field is of Baker Mayfield. And who the hell is he? Is he the guy that broke the rookie record for touchdown passes two years ago or the guy that stunk up the football field this season? And thank God for Jameis Winston took a lot of the interception headlines away from Baker Mayfield. He was awful. Kevin Stefanski on 92.3 in Cleveland this morning talked about building an offense around Baker Mayfield. What does your quarterback need to improve on? I look at Baker and – I look at all, all our guys, honestly. I, I, I know we want to single out the quarterback because it's the National Football League, and, and that's what we do, and, and that's fine. But I just look at all our guys, and, and we're going to work really hard to put some schemes together that maximize these guys, their, their talents. And what does that mean? Well, we need to look at Baker and what does he do best. Where, where can we design an offense where he can thrive? And, you know, we're, we're just getting started in, in, in that regard He's gifted enough to do the, to do some things uh, on the field that we're going to ask him to do. Uh, will it look different than last year? Sure, it will. It, it'll be a different system. It's going to challenge him. But I think the guy has a, a skill set, certainly, that everybody has seen over the past two years. There's a reason he was the number one draft pick. I mean, this guy's talented. So it's just going to be a matter of putting him in, in a position to succeed, and, and really that's schematically. And then it also has to do with the people that you put around him. All right, that's the Browns' new head coach, Kevin Stefanski, on 92.3 in Cleveland, the Ken Carmen Show with Anthony Lima. I agree with that sentiment. I think Baker Mayfield is an extraordinary talent. I think Freddie Kitchens really screwed that situation up. Maybe, Ross, it's a similar system to what worked for Kirk Cousins, which is leaning on one of the game's great running backs, Nick Chubb, and working through the play action. I still think... Baker Mayfield is a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback. What do you think? You know, it's interesting, isn't it, Dave? Because you look at the Vikings with Thielen and Diggs, and you think, okay, Browns, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr. The Vikings have Dalvin Cook. Bears, uh, the Browns have Nick Chubb. So you can kind of see the similarities between the two teams. And I think that there are also some similar skill set between Cousins and Baker. Now, I think Baker's maybe a little bit more mobile than Cousins, but they were doing a lot of the bootleg stuff in Minnesota. I wonder how much of that is why Stavansky got the job, because there are a bunch of similarities between the personnel in Cleveland and what he just came from in Minnesota. It is interesting. And it looks like it, there's a lot to learn. You do worry a little bit. If you just take a one game, uh, look at one game under a microscope, you worry a little bit in terms of what happened to Minnesota in the postseason. but hopefully they like what they've seen from Stefanski in the long term. You worry was Gary Kubiak, the genius behind what was happening in Minnesota. But hopefully for the folks in Cleveland, they've got it turned around. We're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little 
presidential debate. The Democrats were at it again last night as the field continues to winnow. And a one central question, the battle of the sexes, seems to dominate the Democrats at the moment. We'll weigh in on that. We'll have our friends uh, look back on Derek Henry, the high school freak of nature. Imagine tackling that guy as a high school kid. They didn't often do it. Some staggering stats. And Luke Keekley, is he a Hall of Famer? On eight seasons in the NFL, a discussion as he retires at 28. But first, it's a new year, and the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level is by hiring the right people. But finding a qualified candidate can be really challenging. Just ask the Browns. ZipRecruiter.com makes it easy with their powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. Applications come in. ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. Right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's just like the radio.com app. It's free. This exclusive web address, write it down, please. ZipRecruiter dot com slash enter that is ziprecruiter.com slash e-n-t-e-r the smartest way to hire what was derrick henry like as a high school running back and luke keekley how will he be remembered as a human and as a linebacker after a break hey everybody it's ross tucker thanks for listening to the home and home podcast remember you can watch or listen live every day from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time exclusively on the Radio.com app or on the web at Radio.com home. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 